everyone, and welcome to the Oklahoma Songwriters Podcast, where each week we find out just what makes our Oklahoma songwriters tick. If you've ever been interested in the process of how songs get written, or if you're a songwriter looking for tips and inspiration, then you are in the right place. I do one-on-one interviews with your favorite Oklahoma artists and dig into why and how they write their music. I'm your host, Jared Voluch, and I'm very, very happy you're here. Let's get started. All right, welcome to the Oklahoma Songwriters Podcast, and as always, I'm Jared Voluch, and today we are joined by Adam Miller. Hello, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on, brother. How are you? Uh, how are you doing today? Absolutely good. Uh, it's been a it's been a good weekend, and we've got some cloudy weather here in Oklahoma for mm-hmm. once. And it is uh, as we're recording. This is September, and so uh, we all know we've been through a little bit of uh, sunshiny days more than we're. Um, you know, one to have than the others. So I'm glad to have a cloudy oh, yeah. day to sit here and talk to you, Jared. Yeah, it's a nice chill, chill day. I needed it. It's been a rough, rough September of gigs. Not rough, blessed September of gigs, but that's a lot of gigs. Absolutely. Which is good. Um, how was the trip down? Trip down to your place? <laughs> yeah, all the way from OKC. Oh, it's always a good drive, and it's always me trying to ward off my temper and and driving. And uh, make sure I and, uh, get down to, to Norman in, in one piece. So I-35 South. You got to play it. It's like playing Gattaca or, you know, or Galaga, really, I think. You know, as you just go back and forth. It's just trying to shift through things. I'm not, a, I'm not a, like a, a snaky driver. Like, I'm not sifting through. But I am like, I do, I do respect the left lane as the one you should be moving on. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's behind you, then you have a problem. Yeah, like. It's tough. Check your ego and move over if you're not the faster <laughs> driver. <laughs> this is oblivious. There's a left on 77 to get off, you know, the south. So I think there's people who get kind of nervous and they're oh, like, well, yeah, yeah. I've got to take that left exit. So yeah. I've got to be hanging on. I do get that. And I'm all like, well, I got it too, but, you know, we don't have to <laughs> drive 68. All right. Shoot. Absolutely. So, but now I'm doing good. <laughs> and the drive was nice. Good here today. I was looking forward to today and, and waking up cloudy and, and uh, it's a perfect night to be here. Oh, yeah. You prefer cloudy weather to No, uh, I prefer the... Weather. See, I lived in Portland, Oregon for a while and uh, I'll have you know that uh, people who love cloudy weather, I, I'd say, hey, you know, I thought I did and some people do and that's actually a fact, but uh, it uh, roughs up on your... on your. Uh, at least it roughed up on my psyche being uh, in Portland, Oregon when I was there. Um it was probably about eight or nine months of cloudy weather. And, uh, you know, mm. so I realized it was a moderation thing where here having a cloudy day is, is just so awesome. It's like, a, especially for a day you have off, especially have a day you get to come over and talk to your friend about songwriting. And, uh, but in, you know, when you just having to go to work for that, whatever day or hour that you're doing it in Portland or in that, in that area where that gets that, that, that cloud cover, it's, it's really hard. And I can only imagine people in Alaska, I think Nellie Clayland and, Alaska for what? I just don't understand Damn. how people can deal with the darkness. That is a true, a very true thing that affects your psychic. And not that that was any kind of myth, but you understand what I'm saying. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's well, a, they have it's like a, a 30, well, don't they have like a, an entire month of like darkness or mm, something? Somewhere, well, definitely easily in those parts. And as you go north, they have, they have like close to six months, I believe, or something like that. Dude. Uh, yeah, it's a problem. Or for, you know, it's a problem for keeping people happy. 
Yeah. Uh, you have vitamin D lamps are a real thing up there in the Northwest as well. Like having that lamp sit by your desk and blaze in this thing that'll help replenish. And you, uh, when I got there into Portland, Oregon, um, I remember walking out and I was in a, in a park. It was probably the first six months I was there. And I kind of laughed because it was very obvious people were standing in spotches of salt. You know, the trees are very tall in the Northwest, very big pine trees. And so uh, you see these splotches of sunlight come through on a sunny day. And I saw him, we were out in the park celebrating a birthday. And um, these people were sitting in sunlight, like literally just like taking it in like a, <laughs> there's a movie that has this guy like from Aliens like, psh, getting blasted up, you know, and be like, whoa, you know, but feeling that sunlight. And I kind of go, ha, oh, and they go, that'll be you in six months. And I kind of laughed. And like, lo and behold, you mm-hmm. were like, you're like looking for sunlight. Like, can I get a little of that sunlight? Can I get a little of sunlight? You know, like get a little patch here. And it works because it makes you... You need it, that exploding star. <laughs> yeah, man. That's crazy. Yeah, I guess I never really thought about that. But I've been oh, it's everything. In Portland. But oh, my goodness. I know I'm happier when I have some sunlight. You got to, whether it's like, oh, it's bright because you're waking up and you don't want to look at the next day or not. But, man, there are days that you just realize, like, wow. Um, you do need, it's a sign of, I don't know, gives you something. Replenish gives you that vitamin D. <laughs> well shoot man um tell us a little bit about yourself like uh where were you born where were you absolutely how I was, was you raised in enid oklahoma which is uh north of oklahoma city as oklahoma's do in in time and about an hour and a half north of oklahoma city and uh grew up there and uh, graduated enid high and long ago and uh, it was an awesome place to grow up because Enid is, is, has an Air Force Base there as well called Vance Air Force Base. Which oh, is yeah. neat. And the sound of your childhood is like T-38s and T-37s, T-1s. And now they have T-6s flying all over where Texans. And, um, oh, yeah, you know a ton about planes. Oh, I enjoy the aviation. And that's a big part of that. It's like I really grew up watching planes fly. And we'd have air shows there, which it's off the subject, but... Tinker, I went to a Tinker, my first Tinker air show for the first time, which might be my last. <laughs> it took like an hour and a half to get on base to go watch it, you know, but yeah. I went to go see the F-35 uh, Lightning too, and because uh, they had the static display, and I was like, oh, I've never seen that. That's the brand new one, you know, and uh, let's go check it out. So it was worth it, but still, um, Vance always had Air Force uh, air, air shows, which is just really awesome because you walk on base. It felt like, it felt like, you know, yeah, much more secure, but still, and, you know, uh, really got to see like F-117 there and of you know thunderbirds and stuff at a very low sacrificial rate of sacrificial rate of trying to get on the base and spend time with your kid that probably doesn't want to be on the tarmac but likes it once the planes come out you know but anyway so growing up in Indiana was great it's great size you had this community it's really cool things some interesting opportunities they had a college there is now an noc so you had some uh music stuff floating around in there that i was kind of affected through so i grew up like um you know uh, in a household that was very uh chill and very open to definitely art and music and stuff like that um it was so funny it's like my grandmother had a piano and my mother had a piano and my both my aunts had a piano or it seems like everyone in my family had like an upright somewhere in the corner and i always thought i remember i got older and went to somebody else's house like where's your piano like, what are you <laughs> talking about and it was like a tv to me or it was like a refrigerator i was like where's your piano i don't understand and they go oh. and like our family just had pianos everywhere and that was just a form of the kind of from of the uh what they did as a piece of art i guess or something they felt uh 
That was a neat skill. I mean, it's a lot of money to put in something just to hang around, right? You got to yeah. remember. Or I maybe feel like not. families used to have a lot more piano. Like, I feel like it used to be a staple in homes to have the, some kind of it's like inter- a piano. It's a big thing. investment. And it's hard, heavy to move. And you kind of have to look at it. Can, can we eat off of it? I don't know. You know I kind of think of like, you <laughs> know, like, it's amazing what households didn't have. Yeah. But they did have a piano. And they had a giant harp in a box, you know. It's kind of a weird piece of engineering. And so... That was always cool, and I always thought that was normal. You know, we grew up, we go to like Tulsa Performing Arts Center a lot and go watch Broadway musicals. But we'd go, and uh, I mean, there's all sorts of things we'd do. My family was really conducive with that, and uh, very interesting uh, folks in that in that area. Despite, uh, despite what am I about to say? And I'm not going to say that. So <laughs> beyond that, so yeah. Um, like I started piano lessons real young, and and uh, that was really cool too. That my mom and my grandmother and my family kind of locked on to the fact that uh, my brother had them, but didn't take them as long as I did. I think, and kind of me, it's, it's just, it was real natural to get into that kind of deal and and uh, do those things. I don't know where I'll have to go off of that. Yeah, no, I mean, but that's what you you had an immediate inclination for music and like kind of stuck with it. It's one of those things that yeah, I could it motivated me or changed me emotionally. Like I could see the theatrics in my head when you heard something, you know. And and uh when I taught guitar, this is what when I uh I'd see a student that kinda like had what I had and what I remember that being is just like this really weird magnetism because it made you feel good. Like either play touch the instrument. Oh yeah. Listen a- to something that, you know, you can be like and it's like better than movies because yeah. it's you know, you're making whatever's happening, but it's so that it's so uh, theatrical. I'd listen to a lot of soundtracks when I was young, so I had like Hunt for Red October soundtrack. I remember I had <laughs> Lion King, Beauty and the Beast. I had scores oh, and yeah. things as well. So I also had like musicals, but I also had like scores. What was another score I had? Like oh yeah, Pearl Harbor. That was a Hans Zimmer one. That mm. was back very early, like 2000s, maybe 2002 or one. I remember that being a really influential score that I ran into and started looking listening to. And, and Hans Zimmer's everywhere now. It's crazy, but uh, he's in Batman Begins, of course. And I don't know if you're familiar with that. That composer? I don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm familiar with him, but not mm-hmm. familiar enough that I follow. I, I'm. I don't follow all the composers. Yeah. It's just interesting when they pop up. And those done. are probably really popular ones, even the ones I'm. I'm selling out on. You well, know, yeah, it'd be there's like Danny Elfman or Danny. Yeah, that like, nice stuff one. like that. But oops, excuse me, I hit your leg there. On your That's all good. Podcasting desk. But uh, <laughs> yeah. No man. Uh, so I mean, really. Up front, it was a big load of like piano lessons, and then uh, like three different teachers oh, going yeah. through things like that, and then finding the right kind of groove. And mm-hmm. then guitar came around, and then drums, and then upright bass, trombone choir, just like whatever your hands get on. But what was cool about all that is that my family was really conducive to that. And they were like, Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's crazy to, I've taught guitar as well, and, um, it's a big difference when you see a kid that has that, like they, they just come in different. Oh, okay. They react differently when they see you play something. They react than a kid that's like, some parents just want to expose their children to music just in case. Cause they, they oh, don't absolutely. know. It's like, hey, would, you like to, would you like to learn to play guitar? You know? And they're like, sure. You know, whatever. But some kids like the last student, and this was probably the only student that was truly, really hard to like, give up because I, I walked away from lessons cause I wanted to just do all music, my, like my music and not worry about lessons. Um, mm. 
but this kid uh, had such a passion, and he was telling me this story about like, man, I, I've I've been asking for a guitar for like four years now, and like they just didn't know. They kept telling me like, or he was like, his parents were just waiting. Because they didn't know. They didn't want to commit to. They didn't want to commit to something that they. You can still buy a cheap guitar. That, right. Yeah. Like, and he, it, was, it had been a couple a, of years, and he was just like, I kept asking, kept asking. He's like, I finally got it, and like, dude, I'd give him these exercises, and then like he'd come back the next week, and he was like, killed it. Yeah, he he crushed it. And he was like, yeah, man, I I practice like the force is strong with this yeah, one. That's I what I tell their parents. So the parents. Yeah, and that's what I'd I tell like, them. The force is strong with this one, meaning like they may not practice what I even tell them to. But the mm-hmm. fact that they just love touching the instrument because it feels good, that means, like, that's the exact reason I did Yeah, there's a resonance with like, that instrument. Just, oh, yeah. yeah might have, it's like an endorphin release. A right. small one, but at least at the beginning or, you know, what you can develop to alchemize the rest. But it was always like, this feels good in my hands. <laughs> yeah, it's just meant to be there kind of deal. Oh, absolutely. I was that same way with instruments um, when I started. I mean, I started with saxophone and, like, I knew that How I needed to play. Uh, what is that? Middle school age? Sure. So, so probably 13, 14. Maybe. A, well, like, no, it's like fifth grade or sixth grade. Okay. So 11 okay. or 12, yeah. I think, is when I finally started. Did you all have music class growing up too? Would you do like the TT Taws? Like the. the oh, uh, yeah. We all have to. Like uh, the. Well, you you hope we all have well, to. I don't yeah. know if that exists now. That's what I'm scared. That's why I asked them, like, did we all have that even when we were younger? And oh, I go, yeah, I guess it's kind of scary. We take, well, I think it was a huge. I don't know. I love those classes. They were great because I loved and I mastered the rhythms. <laughs> but they were like, you know, I can do your quarter notes in your 16s. So yeah. Like bring it and then, you know, it gets a lot harder. But um, no, that's cool. So absolutely. So you did saxophone. And uh, what'd you go, when did you start playing guitar then? Uh, I started guitar probably in high school. Okay. Um, I just And I only did it out of uh, uh, competitiveness. I had a How friend. Well, I had a friend who uh, we competed playing music, um, battling between first chair as oh, we wow. grew up, okay. um, playing saxophone, and um, he bought a guitar and started playing that, and I was like, well, I'm not going to be outdone. Yeah. And so I, I got a guitar and started playing, and then like immediately I wanted to write my own music, and like my creativity kind of got going on it and he surely enough he, he quit playing guitar but i just kept going and kept going oh, on it and so interesting the ones that start and never continue versus mm-hmm. the ones that may have gotten different starts and continued yeah there's like, a story in my yeah like i remember this my friend of mine who we were all kind of getting hyped on guitars at the time and kind of the same deal not that he got one that I, I think we were just all just like looking through musicians friends and saying hey, let's get a guitar and Getting really hyped on that, and I uh, had acoustic at home at the time, but I was like, yeah, electric. And so uh, his mom takes him straight to, like, the, the music store and buys him the first guitar, buys him a Zoom 505 pedal, which was neat at the time. <laughs> yeah. This is, like, 97, 98. And uh, a little Squire amp, you know, all of a sudden he's got a guitar. My mom's like, we got to go pawn shop. So we go around the pawn shop, find one, and I find the one that I can kind of afford and put it on layaway, but not the layaway you take home, the layaway in a pawn shop where you like put it in the back and you just keep making payments on it. And then Dang. when you make, when yeah. you pay it off, we've done that. So that's just my mom or my parents' way of just saying like, okay, here you go. You want it? But you know, this is some certainty. If you really want it, it's there, you know? And so, and then came around, I was able to bust it out. <laughs> I remember it was my first Stratocaster and, and that kid does not play one bit. 
and uh, my, you know, it's just maybe another way of making that more valuable for me. And, uh, and oh yeah, that's, like that, that's definitely um, a big part of it. I think, but it made me even more like self. How do you say it? Like salivate more, even over mm-hmm. the fact of getting this thing. Can't wait to just yeah. see what it can do or what what it. the world of electric guitar waits versus what I've been kind of preparing in my small pupil pay, pupil stage of <laughs> acoustic, you know, learning. You know, so I couldn't wait for that. But there's, it's in it. always reminded me. It goes ah, oh, just because it's given. To, you know, and I was like, oh, that kid's gonna. He had a beautiful guitar too. It's beautiful Stratocaster. And I think it was just out of gold hardware. <laughs> Good God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I had a black and white Strat, Squire Strat. Still have it, though. I love that guitar to death. I changed all the pickups out and wouldn't take it in public, but I'd record with it. Oh, hell yeah. I still have my first, I don't know, I don't actually have my still for my first acoustic guitar. I think I, I wound up parting ways with that for somebody. But uh, I have my first professional guitar that I ever bought. Um, back in high school that I had to save and scrimp for. What is it? It's, uh, it's an old Takamini G-Series, oh, one of the first ones. Absolutely. Um, or the first ones they brought back. Um, and I still have that. I still play on what it. What color I, is it? It's just natural finish. I fell in love with just a natural mm-hmm. natural finish guitars. Um, they're just pretty. Good. I just like the natural wood of it, um, the look of it. Mm-hmm. And I've got, I don't know, I've got several other Takaminis now, but... Not a rated guitar company. It is. It's weird. It's, it's put in a weird box by a lot. And uh, yeah, I'm talking about it, I'll, I'll defend it because, and I'll even say my acoustic, my particular one that I play with. As many know that I play Takamine as well. I always say it's it's a it's an all right acoustic guitar. It's a really good electric guitar. Yes. <laughs> my specific, just because it yes. has such a number one, it is a cutaway at the at the neck, but it's rounded at the back. It's not a dreadnought, and so it cuts a lot out that lower frequency out and a lot of the loudness, but it's light when you're just plugging in pretty much how much of percentage of the time? Mm, 99.5% of the time you're plugging in. So that's great. Your D and I love Martins, but you know, your D 28 is as loud as I'll get out in the best living room you've ever played it in without being, and I'm down with that, but cause I do like those loud guitars and those song circles and things like that. But yeah, I'm plugging it in. It's light, and I can model it to pretty much any room. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Well, that and the preamps are just I think it is great. Yeah. stellar. The, the one that's behind you is I play that at every wedding mm-hmm. that yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I recognize that. I yeah, love that one. Every gig I do, and it's just it shows up, it plays. They're workhorses, yeah. and that's what I kind of like. Oh, can I borrow your guitar for? And I got feel bad. So I'm just like, well, it's my workhorse. That's the one that I have mm-hmm. to rely on. That. It really does plow the fields, if you will. Yeah, it's, paying, it's keeping <laughs> these lights on for sure. <laughs> um, but it, it works. That's the whole point. Like just like you said, like every time it shows up, and uh, I know its personality, and it's really easy. It's not really weird and wacky. It's just hey, don't play me without probably plugging me in because I'm not gonna make that much noise. I'm definitely yeah. not a low my my one. And I know well, mine is the same yeah, way. Yeah, yours is a smaller body, but even though it's got a, an ass on it, it does. And so. Sometimes I think those actually add a little more than mine, and it's not cut away. Even though it's cut away in certain parts. What, what shape do you I'm gonna hit them? What, what shape do you think it is? I don't know what those are called. Uh, that's a parlor. Parlor I, is that what it is? I, like, call I, it I was thinking like yeah, close they, to the. They call it a New Yorker. The Takamini okay. does. Looks like one of those Dylan. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Dylan. Playing in the bread or in the the bread in the bread basket line or whatever they called it. <laughs> they used to hand around. It was just cool. Do you ever watch any of the Scorsese? Dylan documentaries? I haven't. Man, No Direction Home. Talk about songwriting fuel. 
I need to do that. Um, However you spell Scorsese. <laughs> that doesn't, yeah, you, it's no direction home. And that just makes you feel good. It was. A, I went on a big Dylan kick. Talk about songwriting, man, I'll tell I've you. I've just started really listening. I mean, I, I've known man. that I should look into him forever, but it's one of those deals where it's... On the songwriting podcast, talk. It's not about worshiping Dylan. That's the that's the mistake people make about Bob Dylan. It's not about oh, this guy's so great. Yeah, it's just about learning and listening. It's about realizing that what he's doing is 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 easier than you think on one end, but it still counts a lot of thought on the other end. Meaning, like, all right, like you know, um, just listen. Like, try to play a couple of songs. Some of the ones that sound really fun, even like um, if you're traveling in the North Country Fair, uh, what is that? The girl in the North Country is real easy, or don't think twice. Yeah, during this I, time, I like real early, one. all these, all this, and they're really fun and they're real light, and they're not. And some of them are heavy. Masters of War is cool and it's neat in different ways. I don't know. I just get turned on the fact that I was like, man, it's it's very open mic speed. Not to say, and I'm not trying to rate his product by any means. I'm just trying to say when I was. It's real young. Talk about, you know, past. Um, going back to, like, Paseo, circa 2004, maybe, to six. And uh, that, that documentary just came out, that Scorsese. And, and uh, you go to, you, did you ever go to Galileo over there in the Paseo around that time? Or do you know what Galileo is? Okay. Not around that time. So Galileo, do you know what Picasso's is now? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Picasso's was Galileo. And Galileo used to be smoking back in the day because you could smoke inside. And you go to these open mics every Thursday. And there's this whole Dylan thing that I always like parallel because maybe I was like listening and watching this documentary where I talk about these bread baskets. And they would go to these in uh, Greenwich Village and all the places in New York and they would have all these songwriters and they would go to each of these things maybe four at night and they would pass around bread box. And, you know, they'd play their basically open mics, you know, and yeah. play their songs. And, but when I was going every Thursday night in the Paseo, at Galileo, Carter Sampson was working the bar. She had dreadlocks at the time. <laughs> and behind the bars, this gives you any idea of the age, you know, and you walk in and and uh, it's just groovy, man. It was such a groovy scene, meaning <laughs> groovy. Uh, but in that, in that way, it was really conducive to songwriting at that time. It was a big influence on me at that time, I'll tell you that. That's cool, man. I need to tear into that. But yeah, that'll give you that fun. And so back to the Dylan thing, really it's about like, man, it's just that, it's just that easy Maybe that hard or that easy. I don't know. It's very inspiring. It's very. It made me feel comfortable writing certain things the way I did. Yeah. Um, in these kind of like folky modern ways. It's, I don't know. Yeah. Go ahead. So. No, you're good, man. <laughs> so it kind of helped you become comfortable with finding your voice or using your voice. Oh, that was a piece of it. I mean, yeah, that's definitely. Um, my voice came from an influence, which I'll mention at the end of the episode. I won't, because it's too distracting at the first, where my influence, my biggest influence comes from a, a writer that just wrote in so many different ways, electronically and not electronically and acoustically and and rock and rolly and stuff like that. And uh, as an artist, it's not even just the sound I'm not I'm necessarily looking for, but it's always it's just the way to con- conduct yourself as a writer, somebody who searches for something, something you didn't expect, and doing different ways that aren't necessarily popular and and exploring what you get out of those things. It's going to be rambling, I know, but <laughs> uh, when you get to those kinds of things, that's why I'll, I'll talk about the artist later. I'll reveal who it is. It's just too distracting at first for the kind of music I play, but it's a huge influence about how I do things. 
Nice. But Bob Dylan definitely works into that, but that was a style and fun culture thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think because people turned him into this kind of worshipy thing. That's the, I, that's the difference, yeah. It's what pushed oh. me away from even bothering to dive oh, yeah. into his catalog because I, I don't know, I just I hate it. <laughs> I hate following anything that I think people want me to listen to. Oh, or, you know, man, <laughs> that's that's the number one. Sorry to bring all this stuff up, but uh, oh, that's good. great that you mentioned that. Yeah, that's such a, it's a weird how, like, it's, uh, if it's super popular, then it's, because it's, honestly, I, you get into songwriting, I don't know when we'll get into the conversation, but it gets into, it's like, well, really, it's like, you get down to it, it's the last thing, uh, being different is fun to see what you can really test out and finding certain things, and you use the thing that's so popular means like you can probably mimic that and write something like that by the time, but it's gone. Meaning like, like it was, I think that person who was now popular was trying out something different at a certain time and sticking with that for a long time. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then maybe there's hyper popularity, but there's this, the, I don't know. In other words, not just saying like, man, we can all write a pop song. Or I think we very, could we very well could not all of us maybe but all yeah. could could sit down and write a pop song right but then there's um the stuff that's a little bit more different i don't know how many times do you try to write for other songwriters that's what i'm doing a lot of times and i'm just kind of like i'm not in a com- competition it's more or less i just kind of think of them listening to it sometimes hmm. they make me feel good sometimes kind of like the dylan thing when i listen to them and i go all right that's cool they did that and i kind of made flying flaws on there what they're doing and and not and what I'm doing is the same aspect where I go, oh, that's not a bad thing. That's just me being hard on myself or I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how often I've written necessarily for the other songwriters. Or but not, I, you know. No, I know what you're saying. Um, but the thing that I have done without really thinking about it, uh, which is the same thing, is uh, whenever I get inspired by like you or by somebody else, um, I, I remember... Dan Martin, I've mentioned him several times Dan on this. Dan Martin's awesome. Uh, he wrote the song about the cannon. Um, and I, when I heard him play that for the first time, I, it really made me think because everybody in the bar just shut up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it was one of those moments when, I, and we've all kind of, well, maybe not everybody's had that moment, but like I've, I've had that moment myself where I've started a song and a hush just kind of falls over the place. And everybody's just in the moment with you. And I was, I saw it happen for him. Mm-hmm. And then it was one of the earlier days that I was there at uh, JJ's. And so it really drew me in too. And I was like, what is happening right now? And he sang through the song. And it was, number one, it was, um, it was finger picking. And, and I think he was, he was in uh, Dropped D. And it was just this real simple thing. And his melody was simple. And but it it was all directed towards his story, and the story was delivered. He delivered it really, really well, and oh. it made me it made me really think about how I write and what my desires are, and as far as how much I love folk music, um, and w- how cool the stories can be. And it it really it pushed me to sit down and write a song that wasn't like to develop a story. I write a lot of songs based on my own perspective mm-hmm. and that are based about, you know, uh, something that's happened to me in a, in a, in a moment, but he wrote this drawn out story. And so that really 
drove me to like, okay, I want to write a long story. Oh my goodness. You Something. get into that. Uh, this is very inspiring. Do you ever listen to Towns Van Zandt? No. There's another guy. So you look <laughs> I know at that Dan Martin, which, is, that which is, is an echo of Towns Van Zandt, mm-hmm. which Dan Martin does a great um, representation of. I'm not saying he's, I hate to say like he sounds like him. He doesn't. Meaning like, but you can tell, I always love to say, I think it's the most respectful thing to say. It's like, I can tell, or you have an influence, I feel, or, you know, I, mm-hmm. I hate when people are like, you sound like this. And I'm like, right. great. That's what I, you know, I don't sound like Adam Miller. That's perfect. Or, you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, I think the last person I said that to was Susan Herndon. I was like, I go, Nico Case sounds like you. And she looks at me <laughs> and I go, I think that's just the best way to say it. You know, she sounds like you, mm-hmm. not you. I think it's an insult to say it the other way. Like, you sound like this. You're on a, you know. But um, um, it should be a compliment, you know. But um, it's always intended as a compliment, I think. <laughs> it, it is from civilians, meaning like you know the people at the at the, <laughs> the gig. You, well, you know, I got you. Yeah. From other songwriters, you know, you're kind of like, yeah, that's cool, you know, and and made me feel even weirder when I said it to her. But still, um, yeah. Um, but uh, Dan Martin. There's a lot of words in Town Van Zant songs. Mm-hmm. That's something that's really incredible. You get in, he does what like it was called a talking blues, and uh, that's insane. When anybody covers like Town Van Zant, I get really surprised because there's so many words. Excuse me. Yeah, it's a big long story. You got to memorize. It's an insane amount, but it's a weird pandameter or whatever. It's like a meter that's going on as well as how he's playing, and then bouncing the words where they kind of rhyme and don't rhyme, you know, and they kind of weave out on these things. Towns Van Zandt, uh, very interesting. There's a great documentary. If you don't want to go through the whole catalog, I just say just watch this documentary. It makes you feel good. And it's Be Here to Love Me, and that's what it's called. Um, and th- all these documentaries came out about the same time, like 2004, right? Like it, we're talking about Scorsese's uh, Don't Look Back, which is about Dylan. And we got uh, somebody's looking at – there was a huge songwriting interest, I feel, at that time. And that's where I really got a big guff, meaning like where me personally, I was working at a – at a record store and movie store called Randy's M and M's in Edmond, <laughs> Oklahoma. I just gotta front that that doesn't exist much. That that particular you know store locale place doesn't exist, but nor do really rec, you know music stores or video stores anymore. So yeah. rest in peace. And that was a great job. That's the best job you can have. <laughs> just like uh, I got movies and music, especially when music and movies weren't as easy as going on YouTube even and typing yeah. in an artist you want to hear. But um. There was a big influx, so I, I was around that, and I had really good channels. Man, it's good about having... Yeah, I go on. But anyway, sorry, I digress. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Meaning, like, it was just like I had good channels. I remember meeting people there. Had a good channel for classic rock. A guy, I'll say Casey is his name, and uh, and, and dropped that, uh, like, the band through Buffalo Springfield and, and even more Bob Dylan, but we just had great conversations. We worked together, but it was huge, you know, uh... I had channels. I had great friends as channels. It just seems awesome. I had a great friend named Matthew. I'll drop his name. And great channels for what he brought. And his was always the best for my life because it brought so much new things, super modern things that was happening, even though if I didn't like it. He's like, this is what's happening, though. Like electronic music or mm, okay. I mean, before dubstep was so, that power word being such a negative, even just going like, what is this weird wobble thing? You know, and, it, and this is... You know, really early though, he was dropping it to me before it even became. You know, he's he was my channel, and then I had other people had channels that uh, I won't name any more names, but that really dropped different influences on me, and and uh, that's what I love is like turning. I was just like, what do you got? You know, and 
And what I loved is it was more powerful because as we dropped earlier, it's like, hey, somebody should say you like this. I think it's the majority that says, hey, you should like this. That turns me off. But a certain friend that I have a certain connection with, they go, here, try this out real quick. It just gives me a, um, uh, I give them a super handicap, like golf term wise, meaning like, oh, like, oh yeah, it's probably cool. Number one, and if it's not, but it's meaning like it has their personality with it. Like I like that that way. If Jared, if you gave me a song and saying I like that, I would probably give you, I would give it a higher ranking. That song either ranking just because I'm like, oh, he likes it, and I have this minimal, you know, or this particular yeah. amount of respect for you, and yeah. then it translates in, and it becomes even more important. Those are most of the songs that I cover. And when I play music is the songs that I'm like connected and learn through other people because they've handed it or I've heard them play it or something like that. Right. I get that. Uh, I just like, I like music from friends before. I, I like it over the music I find myself. Meaning like if I clicked on a song randomly and I go like, oh, I like that. I go, yeah, it's nice that you like that. But it's <laughs> like Matthew handed me a song, it's my friend. And I'd be like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I probably wouldn't even like it at first. And then I'd come into it later and figure out why I like it. It's really weird. Uh, and I would probably just try it. Maybe because it means something to somebody else. I don't know. It's a whole I think that's probably a big part of it. Psychological deal. But uh, that means it's like, okay. And as a music writer, maker, creator, or something that I'm like trying to, even though I don't think it's a good idea to try to like, you know, uh, decode or, uh, uh, find the combination of music writing for people or like what makes them happy because you'll never do it because there's no, a million no. you know likes and stuff but even though we're always trying to find something like ooh, you know like i like i know hooks that'll work and i know feelings and dynamics you can pull into songs that take people places um but that's part of it i'm just finding that a little bit of that and maybe it's that one like all right they like that maybe that's a combination of finding my next influence i don't know i dig it man <laughs> There's a lot of talk in the rambling about a Miller today, man. No, it's good. I mean, that's what this whole environment is set up to just be fun and relaxed. And it's non-linear. I feel. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like we're taking a lot of crazy paths. Well, yeah, a little bit, but no, it's still based on music, right? Absolutely. So, um, well, then we'll get more linear. When did you start performing? You you uh, you play. Guitar. You started on piano. You you've played bass. You've played uh, drums. Um, you've did you say you've been in choir as well? Like I never did choir, and when I was like young, like in grade school, but never like I always felt my voice is probably my worst, worst. And so, um, so when I start playing live, um, so I was real young, and there was this pizza parlor in Enid called Godfather's Pizza. And I knew the owner, and uh, I was like, they were like, you can come up, set your guitar. And play play your songs, you know, and I didn't have good songs, and you know, or like like you know, and I didn't even really have live. I never did open mics. I did probably that before I did an open mic, which was poor. Meaning like I got to play for, and even before that, let's try this. All right, so <laughs> so doing piano, I played in front of people. I was used to that recitals, things like that, talent shows in my grade school, playing whatever I had for what is called Tri-State, which is a, a music festival that's gone on in Enid for over. I'd say over 50 years. Uh, used to used to be a big deal. There's a there's a documentary you can find Jimmy Stewart. You know who Jimmy Stewart is yes. from Wonderful Life. Uh, he narrates Tri-State, and it's like a black and white footage from like 50s or 40s or something like that. Probably not. I don't know. And um, it used to be this. You know, so all marching bands would come and they would participate, and people would do solo piano solos and clarinet solos or whatever. You know, and you'd be judged, right? And it'd just be a big old competition celebration of music. 
And um, so I'm used to like practicing things and you'd have talent shows and you would play for those for your piano, right? And I did that a lot, like six years during my grade school, basically. Um, became really interested and hyper interested in bands that came out in the 90s. I'm a product of like uh, corporate band, you know, things. So, so 90s alternative music and um, things like that and influences. Like I said, I wouldn't mention before, but most anybody who knows me uh, would probably know the influence I'll talk about, but a little bit later, again, as it will distract from that. But um, I got into that, so I'm like, how do you do that? You know, I was real curious. I was like, what do you do um, to play music? Uh, I knew... I did piano lessons. I started guitar. The guitar teachers, I had like maybe two, three lessons max from three, two or three different teachers. And I knew how important a teacher was in music because I had three teachers in piano music, piano lessons. And the last one was just this awesome supernova of like how to talk to me and how to project, you know, make run. I had potential, but how do I like, how do I harness this? Right. Right. The other two were just kind of doing these classic moves of like, hey, here's what you do to play piano. And I'm like, man, I need soul. I need to find out, like, you know, here's something I wanted to play. Basically, I, I walked up to the teacher the first time playing, like, I want to play this song. And it was this Beethoven song, and I was just like, this sounds so beautiful. And it was before, the other way was the teacher always assigning you music. And this person really saw that, like, hey, he does care and have passion. These are the piano lessons I go to at 6 in the morning instead Oof. of, like, no, but that was good. My yeah. brain was on. Yeah, it was, was tough. Cool. My mom kicked my butt out of bed, and we go have a little bit of breakfast, but we go and do my piano lesson before school instead of after because I'm all worn out and don't care, I don't care after school. <laughs> yeah, most kids... <laughs> my, are, my brain's yeah, obliterated. Yeah, I want to go outside and run around and ride my bike. And my mom took the chance, which I think was with this one teacher, was, I think it was absolutely brilliant. And we go in the morning and I go in, but I got the best brain work out of everything in the morning. Damn. And it's cool that that, that that lady even offered that. I wouldn't imagine. She was up... I mean, I did that. Yeah, I had to be there by like six thirty or something like that. So, that's yeah. freaking awesome, actually. Like, as my mom, and that's, that's smart. That I go back to that where she cared enough to do that and drive me sit in the parking lot, sit in the driveway for an hour, you no, know, or yeah. forty five minutes or whatever, and wait for her kid to come out and then take him to school. That's insane. Drop him off, and you know, but that was a cool teacher too that really pumped in a lot. Arlene Lewis, I really pumped in a lot of like, you know. So we go into that, and we go, we go. All right what's next? And this piano teacher happened to move away. And this is like right when I'm going to junior high and I'm like, I want to pick up a guitar. My friends are getting all hyper on guitar. Man, we're listening to all these things, of course, Metallica and all this nineties, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And my brother's getting a Sony BMG, like CD record collection coming in the mail. You know, you remember those you pay oh, like yeah. a, a cent for a an monthly, album yeah, yeah, or something like that. Like 10 CDs. So he's a getting month or tons something. of albums from Led Zeppelin box sets. I've never seen to, so influences are coming in like, and especially hormones and influences are just going. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching all these things and I want to go play live and I kind of get stuff. So I get my guitars, I'm playing electric guitar for a little bit. I'm writing certain things. I'm trying to act like somebody else, <laughs> which is what, you know, and I didn't play it over mic. I get through, eh, I play those pizza gigs when I'm like 15 or 16, I remember, because I was able to drive there. It works out okay. I still can't sing in front of people I know for some reason, you know, getting there. And then I get to high school. Oh, no, oh, there's class day. and there's a. We had a junior high, 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, right? And freshman class day we have last day of school before you go to the high school area you have your sophomore junior senior year at the time and Enid, uh they would have this thing at the end you know it'd be like a talent show or basically you know right. everybody's there and we'd uh and i played for the class day and had a little rock group 
play for that. And that was a big, probably the biggest audience before the, that was before the pizza parlor too. So, man, those are nerve wracking too. Playing that in front was of all I was ready to do it. I was Ugh. ready to do it because we smashed it because we I could play in front of a whole a thousand adults <laughs> before I like, and be less nervous than playing in front of like 200 kids that I went to school every I I day with. I was so ready to play and enact what I wanted to play. Yeah, I was. Oh yeah, we did. Like, it. Yeah. and I was the lead guy. Like, I like meaning like I, had, you know, I took the lead vocals and the guitar part. Meaning like I was like, all right, so this is your fault if it stinks. You know, I think everybody else looks cool. So we played it, which is a cover of "Bullet with Butterfly Wings" by the Smashing Pumpkins. Nice. We played on Class Day, and the world is a vampire. Nobody can recall that. And uh, moving on, so I do the pizza parlor stuff, and really fail, and really feel kind of, or don't fail, but just feel like okay. You don't. Our, it's a good reminder. You don't have a set together. It's a good reminder that yeah, I'm not what it takes to sit there and actually play for even an hour. And I get to and I start writing piano stuff. Um, even throughout that, thinking and I play like a class day in my senior year with a piano thing. And anyway, I go out. The good first feel good is I go to UCO, and I get hooked up with a band in Oklahoma City, and I drive down there, and we're playing at like Sapengos, which is the SIP. Over there, if you've ever heard of that, playing at the Blue Note. We've all heard that. I'm playing bass for them in a very Incubus-style band. Nice. Which I loved, yeah, because Incubus has good bass parts, too. Uh, yeah. At the early science and, and uh, make yourself. And they were a little different. Oh, man, it was groovy. I mean, they were slightly mainstream, but they they also fell out of it because they did what well, they wanted to do. They lost their bass player. And so <laughs> it's funny that... that. Yeah, they changed bass players on the court left of the murder mm. and everything changed from that album. The last, the best good, good thing I really felt from it was, um, was that not make yourself the one after that. Wish you were here or whatever that album has that song on. And you can tell the difference in production and release style. And that's when a bass player happened to leave, happened to leave, not to say that it really affected the sound completely, but that was truly, um, a marking mm. moment and something that said something to me. I did forget. Um, I did have a, so between, playing with that band in Incubus, there's a small thing that really gave me the bug to play live, and this was it. And uh, I, um, I'm sitting there, and my cousin is a hairstylist, and, and this, she's doing a woman's hair. It happens to be a manager of a band out of Wichita, and I'm in Enid, which is only, again, an hour and a half south of Wichita, Zenith, time instead of miles. And, uh, excuse me, and... Um, and it happens conversation and it goes like, yeah, they just need a keyboard player, excuse me, to uh, play from, uh, play piano and just kind of sit there and be the fifth member, This they being this band out of, you know, out of Wichita. And she's like, well, my cousin plays keys, you know, and they're going to Denver to play this show. And so in this weird, very magical circumstance, because I don't really imagine anything happen like this today, even in for my position asking somebody to come up from an hour and a half staff to play keys. Like, I'm really wondering why they even need this fifth guy. Like, sure, they sh I've never heard of a venue even now. I look back, and the reason was, like, the, the venue wouldn't have them if they didn't have a fifth player or something like that. I had something very odd that was communicated. I was just turning mm. 19 this week, right? So I go up to Wichita or halfway there, and I audition. First time, I'm, not, I'm, I'm 18. I walk into this bar, and I go, hey, play keys. Playing keys behind, like, pop country music is pretty easy, in my opinion. Well... If you're comping, meaning no really yeah, lead not, parts or no really, really signature areas, uh, yeah, you're you know, at, you're if, it's, if it's pop country, it's CG, you know, we're doing really, you know, do, in my opinion, if 
the only one is an organ part in the back. You know, you just layering stuff. They didn't want lead things. So I played it, and they go, you'll do fine. We'll see you next time. Okay. So I came out three days later, and we're going to go to Denver. I'd only met these guys two days, three days before. We go over to Denver, and uh, this awesome bar called the Grizzly Rose in Denver, Colorado. And you're there, and they have – it's a – I mean, just the biggest – Best country bar I've probably ever went to in my whole life. Meaning, like, they had a big dance floor, had a big old stage, had a green room for you in the back. They had two bars on the right and left of the stages. Three you know, minutes. and there's the dance floor in the middle. And then the back, they had the big L bar that reached, you know, goes hum down. And then to the other back, they had the, the big mechanical bull. <laughs> I mean, it was like the, the awesome. staple, like, roadhouse, like, geez. You know, you go in there, but it was nice, you know. And so I was like, wow. And this is still early. For, I've never had a real gig, like, anything definitely where i didn't get paid or paid paid one because i got they're like all right you know all i had to pay for is my food on the way there they paid for your hotel and the rest and this is just a weird gig for me being so young as i even recall it from where i am now but uh i was like okay just keep it cool and i was really naive and loudmouth kid too i had a mohawk at the time (laughs) and they can't i remember them saying you can't wear that on stage son and I'm like, what are you talking about? I showed up with it. You know, I actually had a hat. I had it when I auditioned, but I had a hat on. So I didn't oh, see right, it. And right, I right. came up and I had it all spiked out. And like, you can't wear that on stage, son. I was like, okay, I'll wear my hat. All the pictures are with me <laughs> wearing a hat. But anyway, so this is going somewhere, I promise. So I just thought, okay, we get there. We do sound check about 2, a, 2 p.m. We go back to the hotel. We get a hotel and the guys are really excited. The youngest guy in the band was 28. I was turning 19 that week. Man, man, hey, man, this is 2003, 2002. Hey, man, man, tonight at the bar, it's, uh, Kenny Chesney's going to stop by. I was like, who's Kenny Chesney? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know who he was because <laughs> I really wasn't in a pop country. And to the, the extent that I really didn't know that. And he goes, well, man, you know, you leave CMT on for like five minutes, you'll see his face. And this is when he was getting his real tractor sexy, I think, era. Oof, yeah. Like really early before the, the, uh, the beach stuff or the Jimmy Buffett stuff hits. And um, I was like, all right. And you hear on the radio and they're talking about it and the guys are just getting way more, but I didn't still have any calibration for any of this. So I was just like, all right, I'm nervous about playing, getting my songs yeah, right. Even I'm though nobody nervous. probably hear me or, you know, it's not, I'm just trying to like, like do a good job. And uh, so we get there and the place is packed. We roll in, I walk in the back and there's people because been on the radio. And I was like, oh, my God, that's my first show. That's my, I'm worried about. So I go to, we play two sets. We take a break. We come off the back. And then there's people back there I've never seen. And everybody comes up. And the drummer, who's 28, the younger guy, and he goes, hey, man, this is Kenny. And I go, hi, Kenny. And he realizes, like, I still don't understand. Because, again, I'm just this 19, 18-year-old kid. I just don't care. I don't know. He goes, no, Kenny. Oh, I go, you're that Kenny. <laughs> talking about he looks at me and like all right see you shakes my hand he's like see you later bud i'll never talk to you again Aww. never did but the whole band played for the rest of the night and on their instruments you know we got paid to watch them and that was a whole thing to be back there and watch how things go man and it was eye-opening and so all this yeah it was a funny weird little we played five other nights in that bar for the rest of the night as we were the i don't know the residency for that thing and it was i get to get up every day and talk to these guys it was really weird how it worked out. It's not scheduled. I go to breakfast every morning with the lead singer, one guy. We went over to the home country, this like home country buffet kind of thing, or, you know, we'd have the egg scrambler plate, you know, and talk to him. I'd be like, how'd you get started? Well, man, I, you know, I fix air conditioners and I write songs, you know, it goes on. I'm like, okay. It's kind of cracking egg over my head, really kind of realizing like, 
all right, this guy still has a job, you know, but we're out here, yeah. you know. And then the next guy I take out the bass player. He goes, yeah, well, I work this, you know, and I do this, and, but we do this, you know. And the next guy is just like, man, I play drums and <laughs> work something, you know, and we just live for that weekend. He slept with anybody, man, the youngest guy. He slept with everything. It was so crazy. <laughs> and uh, the lead singer, I'll say this, as a small antidote, last antidote, the guy, like, he forgot his wedding. He forgot whatever, what do you want to say? I remember just being a big deal. He forgot his wedding ring. His wife was going off. You, you didn't take your wedding ring? She mailed the wedding ring to him to the hotel mm. so he'd wear it. But he goes, it doesn't matter, man. I'll wear it. And they just know no strings attached. And then these are the guys I'm hanging with. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> Learning these rather wild lessons at like 19, you know. But nah. So sorry, that's, a, that's an offshoot. But that was really a big gimme of like, this is fun, you know. This is, you get a lot of fun, you know. This is a lot of good times, depending on what kind of music you play. And then I get to play in the bass with another band and... But it evolves. Depends how how you want to do it. When you get into songwriting terms, kind of like you or I do, when you want to still kind of keep trying to organize scheduling other people to be with you, and that's what changes, or at least changed in my life. Yeah. So. That's a hell of a performing story. <laughs> Good God. Sorry, I know it was long, but that was my Kenny Chesney. I'm like, oh, you're that Kenny guy. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't change. My opinion of it didn't I change once I got to know him. Like, you know, I was thing. like, ah, and he was just like, all right, I'm getting no vibe, you know, like, yeah, no need to talk to you anymore. And of course, I'm just some stupid kid, so whatever. But uh, I have pictures of myself in the green room being bored. <laughs> 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 like, you know, sitting there going like, well, I'm just sitting here trying. I'd rather be playing because I was really excited about playing. Yeah. But uh, it was eye-opening to see that. His band members were very cordial and very nice and very neat to see, like, how they performed and just got up and did their thing, too. So, but anyway, yeah. I dig it, man. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about uh, you started performing around 16. When did you start writing, like, uh, your own stuff? Uh Writing piano or playing piano at those times, like being that the most proficient instrument at the time, let's say when I was young, um, I'd always kind of doodle and do things, you know? It sounded really kind of like kids' classical music or what you would hear, like mm. kind of what I was yeah. playing at the time, right? right? Which is really weird is when people take piano lessons, they take a lot of classical influences, which in my opinion is neat, but then you always realize like, hey, you want to learn how to play blues, scales, uh you know, what everybody really digs when they hear somebody playing the airport, somebody really just, you know, knocking out a honky-tonk, you know, kind of piano style. And so remind that anybody listens, like, get your kid also honky-tonk style or, you know, that yeah. style. Quit sitting on straight 4-4s, four learn how it's to swing. It's a lot more emotion. Oh, yeah, and it's it a seems. lot more of our culture into that, too. Mm -hmm. um, that makes it more profitable in them to be able to play with other people in the future, too. Classical is great, and it's cool for seeing all sorts of things. Don't get me wrong, but... You know, it's it feel, weird how that's ignored when kids really yeah. love rock and you know, it's it's no surprise why people love guitar because it's so contemporary and it's fun to hear distortion and it's fun to hear the effects we apply to it, right? Um, but what was the question there? <laughs> so we're going to uh, oh, uh, just your songwriting. Oh, when, when we get to that, when I was writing, um, so I get the guitar and that's it, man, because I'm trying to mimic the specific influence that I had in my life, right? And I'm trying to be like, well, he has a guitar, so I get, I get this guitar. And, and even plays a little piano, though. And again, it's a very eclectic mix of music. Even Queen's a very good example of that. It equalizes my influence as well as just being like, hey, we got electronic music, we got piano, we got guitar. I realize it's not one instrument as the whole thing, but guitar seems to be some kind of like central to the universe, just some kind of pretty easy movement of expression because it has rhythm. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and then it also has melody too. And you can also do melody and rhythms at the same time, which is really kind of weird. That's something cool to watch you do. Well, thank you. But, uh, um, so getting into songwriting, uh, I started getting a guitar. That was it, man. So right at that time when I was thinking, I was trying to really act like my influence and songwriting. Yeah. I mean, when it gets down to it, it's, you're always trying to act like your influence, but you just kind of miss on purpose and then you hear yourself and that's who you are. That's what everybody does. <laughs> yeah. In my opinion, this is my big philosophy about it. Really. It's just that kind of idea that came from that. It's like, and that's what I learned when I was young. I was like, Hey, I'm trying to sound like this. I'm not this person, so I'm not going to sound like this. Right. And you kind of come up to this edge where, you, in other words, you're doping your scope or you're, you're not gauging for windage or if you make, if that makes any sense. Because then you realize, like, all right, and then you can actually kind of gauge for windage and pull it up. And then you don't want to sound like that. And then whatever that is in between you and stinking and the person that you're trying to sound like, you're in between that, and that's you. Yeah. So. That's a cool way to talk about it. Oh, it's a huge big deal. That's everything. I mean, really getting into songwriting, it's like, it's about it, man. It's like, you're, if you're truly influenced. You're trying to sound like that. And then you yeah. realize you're intentionally missing, but then you realize, Oh, that's a cool flavor over there. Mm-hmm. When you learn to hone, you know, to be accurate with whatever's over here in that middle area. Cause you don't want to sound exactly like that. You end up sounding exactly like that. Well, yeah. They're a very clear picture. Like guys with iPads strapped to their mic stands <laughs> no yeah. sorry no i'm just playing but uh i'm just saying well you know the people who sound just like them and that's great talent and that's a great deal or whatever yeah well, that was a lot never of people my... a lot of your civilians or normal people judge talent based on whether or not you can exactly familiarity is always a good somebody thing. well, that, well not just, just from... not just that but okay can they sound exactly like You've seen that, and over that is and over a good again. competition, and that's like sport. That's like who can run the fast. That's great, right? But who I mean, can run good, beautifully? But, right. <laughs> I don't know if that's and that's probably well, that's models, baby. <laughs> you know, walk, just walk normal and beautiful. No, um, what it's real, man, is that, um, and and so I, I I respect anyone who's out there hustling and playing music from the street uh, drummer yeah. to yeah. the cover artist to to where because hey, you're playing music and that's great and that's groovy. It makes people happy. It's part of the whole culture and the fun of it. It's not my personal goal to sound like somebody else. And it's not by accident that I try not to. Um, but I, I like that. I like the, the, the thought where I'm like, hey, when I realize it's like, I'm really trying to sound like this. And I think anybody who really is super passionate really does this. It's like you had something that really moved you at a certain age. Mm-hmm. Most likely you're coming of age. I ask a lot of people their questions like, and I'll ask you, how about this? I haven't asked you, what's your coming of age music, Jared? What's your guilty pleasure there? It could be a oh, very man. guilty Oh, a lot of it is. Like so, that's like, like thirteen to twenty-one, right there. Something you know, because you're going. A lot of hormones are being introduced. A lot of life things, and you're looking farther into art, probably than you you may have ever will maybe in your life sometimes. Or for artists, not so much. So I don't believe that for you or I. But and other people, they lock off at that age. They go, oh, yeah. those, you know, you can always tell they like they really love that because you experience a lot of first, you know, perhaps. You know, a lot of adventures with the opposite or whatever you're interested in. And then, uh, yeah, you know, I've seen that, the soundtracks, all something. sorts of things, man. And so coming of age music is huge. So what was your coming of age music? Oh, man, the guilty pleasure even today is uh, yeah, you got great. Blink-182, you okay. got Third Eye Blind, all Absolutely. those people. Well, and then uh, Green Day. A lot of pop punk. And yeah. then, like, in the 90s, the biggest, probably when I was really in my feels, uh-huh. it was all the grunge. It was... Oh, man. It was, uh, you know, Pearl Jam and... Love it. Uh, Alice in Chains and, it. like, all those guys. Chris Cornell and all the billion groups he started. Oh, yeah. But, all that stuff that was being seen. 95X mm-hmm. and all this good stuff at this radio. So, um, 
Yeah, coming of age, you know, it's huge. And I still, you're right about like I still listen to all that music. I still oh, go yeah. back to that because it's just it feels like home. And so going back, and that transfers to people who live their coming of age music. That's why we can never say oh, those generations' music stink or you know we're not or we don't understand okay. it because it's so weird how that comes about, right? Uh, how <laughs> we realize like no, it's not about even the quality of music. It's the fact that I'm experiencing this part of my life with the soundtrack. And that's what kind of continues on. Um, but anyway, so somewhere in that age, most of us, not every one of us, or at least I say us being songwriters or musicians, get really inspired by something or a particular artist and perhaps model a lot of themselves out of maybe, let's say, a handful of artists. Could be a lot of things. Uh, I'll say in my particular case, it was corporate-driven because I'm in a product of the 90s. And uh, I say corporate driven because, you know, this is fed from MTV radio stuff. I, you yeah. know, we had a CD warehouse that's about as independent as a guy, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> Hastings, which, you know, rest in peace, Hastings forever. <laughs> yeah. I think mean, I love Hastings. Um, it's a crunch fitness now here. Hey, you know, but Hastings, <laughs> you did your job. You really did. You raised a generation. Of, that was just one of the best. Yeah, absolutely. It was a good time. Music, books, computer games. <laughs> did you remember? <laughs> I remember the PC games, man. But anyway. Anyway, so uh, coming of age, uh, I keep saying that, but um, it's a reality. Like you find yourself wanting to, to emulate something, or I found myself wanting to emulate this persona, and I go like, man, um, for better or for worse. Luckily, I, I grabbed onto a persona or an influence to me that, that was pretty humble in the eyes, but rather interesting of shielding of popularity, which made me really dig hard to find and understand them the artist one and two apply it to myself and go like, okay, I like how this artist does this. It's different, but it's definitely a lot of, a little bit of suffering, meaning like you're not going to sound as just as regular as anybody else, but it means you have to dig up something extra. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's huge. It's huge. And for me digging up stuff that's extra because it makes up, you just have tricks up your sleeve and a little bit deeper of a thought, I think. Yeah, man. I hope that works out. I'm sure we're, we're going to find like where we're asking questions and by the answers, they were like, what were they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> man, we, we, yeah, no, we answer the questions here and then we just kind of meander a little bit. What was the last goes. question? Uh, Sorry. That's just fine. basically when you started writing and then it kind of evolved into okay, the next yeah, question yeah. anyways, yeah. which is, you know, how, you know, how do you go right about writing a song, you know, from start to finish? And we can Absolutely. actually, we could talk about, um, we could use the songwriter, which is going to be the featured track at the end of this episode, Absolutely. to talk about how you write music. A couple no. differentiations. We'll talk about songwriter in a second. Um, being as uh, starting up number one, like how I wrote mm -hmm. it, I wanted to be this thing. I wasn't accurate, so I let's say I shot to left, just like I talked about. The windage or was off, and I would shoot left. And I go, like, man, why can't I sound like this? So... And then finally getting better, uh, more proficient at my instrument, guitar, and accepting myself as we both, as somebody as Jared, as I know you record music as I do, you just, you learn a duality of also writing music, meaning like one can exist in a recorded form and one exists for the people I'm just got a guitar and either I'm in a living room and an open mic or at a gig or JJ's or, and I'm going to play you this song. Whether right. I know all this other stuff's going on, you know, but you know there's a duality of writing at a certain point. That's why I also love and always suggest when writing a song or learning to write songs or writing music or just for fun, get a four track or get a even garage band because 
helps expand your eyes and expand your ideas. And, um, you know, some people just play on their guitar their whole life. And that's really hard for me to imagine because I got into producing music or at least recording music early. I had a four track, like I had mentioned earlier in our conversation, that that was by grade eight or nine very early. And that's not even anything now to have it. You know, all your phone has GarageBand, your iPhone anyways, but that wouldn't be anything for Android. I don't know how that world goes. No. To find a, um, a recording thing, just at least to get two, three tracks, you know, just to realize like, hey, you know, your chord's cool. What if you added, a, you know, a stupid little guitar lead over it that repeats, but that would help your melody, help you find a melody. In other words, mm-hmm. in other words, it was just a, a bookmark to help you get somewhere. So there's so many tools to do that, and that's something I had when I was little. I had a little four-track digital Fostex recorder. I went on to a PC after that and, and helped develop a lot of the writing. At least helped me, give me that kind of bookmark. So my brain didn't have to use the all its random access memory to hold the song that I already was trying to write and then try to add new pieces to or even lyrics to, right? And developing right. that young is what I'm getting at. Is what building that idea. I'm like, how am, I, how am I writing songs? And how am I personally writing songs? And it's a whole deal. I'm like, man... I bring up Susan Harnan again. This is a really awesome example. She still does it. She did it yesterday. Monday Morning Muse. She'll post it on her Facebook. And I've seen this for over five some years now when I first started following her. And I really love that because what that does for you for writing music, let's get into that, is this. She posts, for her example, what I see, what she says. So she'll post today or last this Monday she posted The Cars and probably most uh, in honor of Mr. Rick Osick. Her Kasich, who had just recently passed away from the cars, but none of that. She she puts that on, and I assume she. I'm not totally sure the way I look at it. She would post pictures of the the album cover in front of her vinyl player, or maybe her CD or whatever. And I really like that because the way I look at what she's doing is she going, I'm going to put this on and I'm going to feel this, and I'm going to write a song that's close to this. Now, if I if you did this even once a week. For four weeks, you would have four different versions of songs that you could write out. Meaning, like, instead of sitting down and going, like, come on, inspiration. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is just, like, for me, a dead-end road. In my opinion, what she does and what I take after, what I've always kind of of done and really realized is, like, what turns me on already, man? So lately, let's say this. It's been, like, Alina Sting. Uh, There's this, uh, it's called uh, Tales of a... uh, Messenger or something is I'm so getting that wrong. It's from '93, which has like fields of gold on it uh, for the popular tracks. Or if I ever lose my faith in you, and has that, which are two tracks, but the rest of them are really wild tracks. By the way, they're they ran on seven, eight, you know, meters and certain things like that are very interesting and challenging. So don't take that for granted because it's sting, and it's all been in our '90s vocab. That's why I searched those things out to really push kind of my writing thing. But that's the deal. It's like, man, do I want to write a song like that? Like. Like, how do I want to feel on stage? How do I, what, what song do I want to have? You ever hear a song like, I wish I wrote that? Okay, we'll take that song and study it. Now you're going to shoot for that song that you want to sound like. Yeah. And guess what? You're going to miss. Now, one of you could say like, I missed. I stink. I suck. I suck. I stink. I didn't write the song I wanted to, right? Let's say you completed the song you even tried to. Well, guess what? You play that thing live and somebody loves it. Or mm-hmm. it's you're the only one that knew the intention of that song. But did you complete it? Yes. All right, shelve it. Let's go. You know, next thing. And that's the whole deal. You become more accurate or not. And the fact is, is that you do the exercise, one. And two, that, man, find, it's, it's really, it's like, man, there's so many kinds of songs I get turned on by. So there was Gracie, what was his name? Isaac Gracie, who uh, 
civilian, as we called it earlier, <laughs> or somebody at a show came up to me afterwards and was like, hey, do you know this artist? No. But I had a good conversation, and I was like, I'll follow your lead, and I'll go listen to a track on my way to my next gig, the next day to Stillwater. And I'm listening to it, and I love this song called Reverie. And it's this pop, most popular one on the thing, but it's a slow and really creeping cool thing. All right, I want to write, you know, I think I have a song like this already. But even then, I'm like, I want to I want to produce it like this, you know, and I, I'm just getting like samples of taste. I'm not copying anybody. No one, you know, that's the, that's the total mistake. So don't copy, just be influenced by things. It's okay to be influenced by things. And you get in to uh, these artists, it's like, again, just even if it's the next morning, you go like, man, all right, you put on B.B. King and you want to like try to mimic some blues thing, but you hit this other thing. And that's you. <laughs> Wake up. That's yeah. you, dude. Yeah. And guess what? Like, you're not always your type. In other words, everybody, and there's something to think about, like, in the dating industry. It's like, guess what? Just because you don't think you're attractive means, like, you're just not your type. If that makes any kind of sense? I love that. Kind of like when you uh, listen to your own voice sometimes and you don't like it. You're just not your type, dude. But somebody else loves it. Oh, man, there's a lot of people who love it. (laughs) And there's a lot of people, I mean, think of all the artists who had original or independent voice or, you know, everything. You're just not your type. Because Eric Clapton's an easy example. You talked about that Bill all the Corgan, time. Corgan, I mean, it's Axl Rose, you know, and it's, it's specific. It's cool. It's different, but it's neat, you know. But you know, who who gave you know that person was probably fueled by a lot of other things to give him such an ego to say this voice is cool. But from our more humble, you know, perspectives, is that man, you're just not your type. But learn to to use your type you know learn to paint with your yeah. color if that makes any kind of sense and uh, and that's it man that's that's how you find it so there's people who cross that line and sound exactly like the people are imitating and they're very talented that's cool and there's you know in the meantime try to find that average between stinking or what if you really hate yourself like when you're like <laughs> and you're like and i sound exactly like that person and in between there's you and when you throw that that arrow or whatever that when you shoot that's the accuracy i want and so when i'm writing it's that is that monday morning music susan hernan does or that very similar i'm usually listening to a song I'm like i really want what do i and i'm at a gig i'm thinking what do i want to feel like right now like why don't why are all my songs slow challenges me again they're like well that's fine you know let's find a better i want to have some groovier so i remember i didn't have a blues song so i wrote a blues song and that's not too hard i would say <laughs> well i mean at least with the 12 bar pentameter of don't don't yeah you know. for the minimum requirements <laughs> no and and i'm you know i'm not trying to like well i'm just saying yeah that's like that's kind of the one out of the box you know that you can kind of start with i think and um you know Try to try to make a song, but every time you shoot for something, you'll miss, and that'll be you, and that'll be something special, and that's not something to be ignored. In other words, so to wrap that up, so I, I encourage that. There's Monday morning muse. There's trying to act like your friends. There's trying or other peers, I should say. There's trying to. Um, there's so many things that turn me on about sitting down, and you can go on from being emotionally really, you know, getting done with a relationship and being really emotional raw. Meaning, like, a really, your feelings are really upfront, yeah. or maybe a, a a death in the family, or a death, of not of the family, but just death, a close thing, or a traumatic event. Of course, that brings up a lot of real, real things that make those wheels turn. Um, it's important. Just what's neat is just um, <laughs> is uh, the way I look at it. Is like, man, what do I want to do? 
Like, what do I want to, you know, project? You can do whatever you want on the show. It's so weird when people get up and they go, oh, and I'm like, well, what'd you expect when you got on stage? Like, I don't know how to say that right. Meaning, like, you designed your show, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I even look at my own show. I'm like, why didn't I have this? I wish I had another good groovy. All right, but that's a good sign to say, like, well, all right, build another one, you know? Yeah, you're always sharpening, always continuing to it's, refine. Well, or just make another one, or just feeling like, oh, I wish I had something to pick, you know, a little bit faster meter. And that's another deal, swing stuff sometimes. Sometimes I can write stuff in straight four, like, dun 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 and then a dun 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 and that changed a whole other song just by swinging stuff. And and there's a million things you can do, in other words, and we all, or maybe not all know this, but you can do to do one idea. It's your own challenge to let go of your original purpose and your and your way of saying I'm like, hey, I know you know what you want. You're probably not gonna get it. But there's a really cool gym here. And if you realize to respect it, it'll probably be bigger than the original because the original idea wasn't yours anyway. You're trying to copy something. You wanted that and the real old gym that comes out of this is the one that's really you're polishing up right now because you're going like, I was inspired by this to do this. I have this, but why isn't it still making me satisfied? So let go of the original idea, you know, and then realize like it's its own new ship. I don't know how, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I really like that. It's a beautiful way to look at keeping a, accepting yourself. Oh, and, yeah. And your, that's Well, that's the whole battle of any songwriting. Yeah. You're your worst. Oh, yeah. Everything, man. You know, and because uh, you're really just trying to, well, some, you know, some of us think harder and some of us don't. I don't know. Depends when you get into it and then, um, it's who you're battling. You're only, you're just trying to make something after a while for yourself. You're trying to trick yourself. That's what I try to do is try to hear something that I didn't hear new coming. You know, mm-hmm. and if I can just trick myself to mess up in the right way, right, and remember how to do that, like either record it and go, all right, and that was that chord change I accidentally hit instead of the one I was actually thinking of. That was way cooler. Let's go back and do that. Like I'm always just trying to trick myself. I don't want the pattern where you know what's coming next. Yeah. If I mean, there's a lot of that. I write, but. You know, I think my 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 own goal, my own goal is not the audience's goal either, and that's another thing to remember. Yeah, that's a, another yeah. So what about the uh, so how did you go about writing the songwriter then? Okay, so yeah, back to that song. That song is specific to about a culture perhaps we live in here, specifically specifically the regional of Oklahoma. So the songwriter is a song that long ago, probably about almost ten years over ten years ago now. And I don't often mention the name when I when I tell the story because I don't need any claim. But this gentleman and songwriter's name was named Bob Childers, and he was a songwriter here in Oklahoma for the longest time. But I did not know Bob Childers, and he had passed away. And at the time, I was going to Galileo. At the time, at the or at, uh, like I mentioned before, it was a very groovy spot for a lot of uh, songwriters. Dino, uh, do you know Bob Moore? Long uh, Cat. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, Bob Moore, which is a space dog. Space dog, you got it. Super influential, big part of me being even playing music too. I have to be very serious about that because he taps out a very number of musicians locally that say, hey man, keep going. And it's just enough um, of, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, confidence he gives out, just enough to keep you going, like, all right, somebody does care. Maybe, like, it was perfect. So, Space Dog by Moore, another guy named Dino Gregg was there. That's when Buffalo Fitz was running. Buffalo was running around with a group, a duo called Buffalo Fitz. You know, Carter Sampson was behind the bar, like I said. She was playing music, too, by all means, creating tons of good music, even for her time at that time. So this whole culture is coming around. Um, so we're at, you know, this whole deal. So they, this gentleman passes away, Bob Childers, the songwriter. And uh, a guy comes to me and he's like, man, you would have really liked Bob Childers. He was a 
good songwriter. They call him the Dylan of the Red Dirt or Dylan of the Dirt. And a uh, guy who really was at every Woody Fest, was there at these festivals and having a good time and, a, and a, an integral part of that. And he goes, come to the wake at the Blue Door, you know, the renowned Blue Door in Oklahoma City. And uh, I was working at a burger joint at the time being a server. And I was like, all right. So I know I got to open and kind of close that day. And so I had a weird schedule for that day. But I go, all right. I worked my first shift. I got off early. I went immediately over to the Blue Door. And there's people there at like 1, a, 1 p.m., you know, right after lunch. And they're drinking beers and smoking cigarettes and playing music already for the wake, you know. And you're sitting there and there's a group of people. And it's really lining up to show like, hey, that's cool. People came out to celebrate this person's life, these musicians. So I got to go back to work. It's about four. Four goes on. I get off about eight. I come over there at eight. I rush back over there. There's a big old tour bus outside of there. And it's tons of cars, tons of people. And they're all singing the weight, you know, by um, the band, you know, take the load off. Annie. And I'm looking literally through the windows of the blue door to see all these people. You know, it's the best shot, really. Going in, I would have had to have been a weird back door. But I had this side view of the stage as you can look in when you walk up inside. And everybody's singing on stage and crying and, and just having a good memorial, you know. And I thought, what a weird life, you know. Success at that time was this whole corporate, you know, thing, or not even corporate, just some kind of, like, quote-unquote secure money stream, right? Versus the real life and the real sacrifice and the real what it is, just playing bars, writing songs, community, other songwriters, right? And the songwriter... Is not about Bob Childers, I say this, but it's because of him and the fact that I was like, ah, it's it's just this, this real idea that we run this race, we never really truly win, we may, whatever that means, is the fact of that we, we raced in kind of that idea and, 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 um, I can't quote the song, I didn't best enough to do that, meaning like, it's just, uh, it's a good idea what we try to go out and do. And it's a different lifestyle. Success means such a different thing. After that night, it was like, wow, all these people came to pay homage and sing songs and do this cool thing, you know. And the song now, songwriting in this region, I have to make very clear, in Oklahoma is very special, very, very special. You can go to different places. I'm sure there's great communities, but there's nowhere in Oklahoma where I've witnessed it at least a couple times in different ways. I lived in Portland, Oregon for a while, and I came back in 2012, and, and uh, there's art and culture and all sorts of things there. And there's certainly songwriting in all sorts of forms. But Oklahoma songwriting it definitely birds itself from a Woody Guthrie, which even trails down through a Bob Dylan, you know, as Bob Dylan's idol or influence, main influence is Woody Guthrie, actually. But it trails down to this guy with a guitar singing a song and telling a story or telling a story singing a song, right? It's this real wild idea that I go, wow, this is, this is something in Oklahoma, Arkansas, Kansas, Texas, the region really, really reflects upon its respect of somehow that this was some kind of thing at the time. I don't know if it's a pioneer thing. Um, perhaps it's it's older than I am to understanding like the storytelling of, um, you know, there's nothing else to do but listen to Uncle Jared play the guitar tonight, you know, and sing his songs, right? Yeah. You know, and uh, and that that blows my mind when I get into it, but. The respect, what I what I really dimensionalized from that song, it's just like, man, it's all here. You know, we'll sit and pick by the firelight until we have to meet again. You know, you go to those picking things at Woody Guthrie Festival or the Bluegrass Festival in Guthrie and walk around from campfire to campfire and see people play songs and do different things. It's It really blew my mind at the time. And that's why the song or the album that I'll put out here coming up close, My Darling Oklahoma, features a, pretty much a lot of the respect for that. That's what it's aimed for.
That's awesome. There you go. <laughs> that's what the song, which the songwriter will be a track on there, unless you said featured on there. And so it's it really reflects just kind of that idea and a little bit of Oklahoma. But specifically, yeah, the region's huge for this. Oklahoma's specific for this. Um, we're not the only ones, but we're definitely a, a huge, I think, leader in that, in that idea. It's like there's tons of songwriters from Oklahoma that nobody even knows, even, you know, on that. But the culture from bar to bar to restaurant to wherever we're playing as a, either a band, but most a lot of times a one-man guy sitting there is much more accepted here than a lot of other places. Very interesting. It's kind of weird. People look at you. <laughs> that yeah. makes any sense, right? Yeah. No. Hell yeah. Um, oh, when, when is the, uh, so when is, when are you hoping to release? Yeah, it should be album? no later than November. So, but this is the first time I've actually on record. I have to, I have to say it here. So <laughs> All right. One sixteen mark, <laughs> one hour and 16 minute mark, you've got some kind of confirmation. It's, but the only reason it's not you that I'm, I blame the awkwardness on, it's me because I just have to actually finally say something out loud. Uh, like, yeah, uh, you know, way. you know, and get off I and be like, it. hey, you get. Now me. it's going to weigh on you. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I've, I'm not uh, shy of busting through something I've already said, I guess like that. I don't know. It makes me a liar. No. Um, no, I'm not worried about it. So it's all natural. There's no commerciality to that, to my, to my thing. So I'm just happy to get it out there before hopefully Christmas. Cause there will be a Christmas single coming out by itself as well. And you go to Christmas songwriting and talk about a challenge or talk about a songwriting challenge yeah. that I think anyone should, I wouldn't even say it has to be secular and not, you know what I mean? Like uh, just to write a holiday song. And I always find interesting things about when I went into this, this, the song that I'm releasing is called Tangier Christmas. And it's about a farm in Woodward, Oklahoma. And that's why it's released with this grouping of songs. It's very Oklahoman in a songwriting area. Um, it's about a church that my mother and my aunt, my grandmother and their family from Woodward, when they lived there, went to for a very long time. And then for the longest time, pretty much still is literally a, a building in the middle of a pasture with a dirt road and a railroad about a block over. And, you know, and so you have this, it's outside of Woodward, Oklahoma, called Tangier. Even though there's a Tangier, I believe, Africa, you know, a country in there, actually. Mm, okay. People might confuse, but Tangier. And uh, so it was that railroad, and literally it was a church in the middle of a, a field. And they would go there, and they would have to start the fire early in the in the, mor- the either the morning of Christmas Day or the next day to have their services. You know, have to start the, the thing, and they had to shoot mice out of the piano and uh, clean up the whole. I mean, it was literally, you know, this this shack, you know, in the middle of this church. But I thought it was cool, like a very, um, I don't know, conservative way of looking at this kind of deal. So, and what a good way. And I look at Christmas music, Christmas music like this is that I want it to be. There's there's two kinds or a handful of kinds of styles of music that are timeless in in holiday music, I should say, and that is jazz and country and bluegrass. And jazz and country and bluegrass, you can make holiday songs in that style and they'll be timeless but if you make let's say like a 90s not to say it's bad it's just you definitely know the date of a 90s christmas song or an 80s christmas song and again not to say they're bad man like last christmas i gave you my heart by wimp that's great song Mm -hmm. you've got oi to the world which is a, a no doubt like ska you know but you definitely know where they're from however timeless songs i think country bluegrass and and jazz um, specifically jazz and stuff like that really are timeless songs. And so hopefully this this will last a little bit as longer. But it's for my it's really for my uh, my mother and my aunt, my grandmother. 
on their side, the people's side. So um, that's what it's a nod in respect to. So, awesome. Man. But I think it was a cool challenge to sit there and go like, if you're a songwriter, you, sh-, you know, or I was kind of trying to talk trash to myself at the time. I was like, you should be able to write this. And it's just something that I could write for them that they would read. My, my, they're church ladies, so, right. you know, they really get it. So as much as I, I say even stuff, usually that's not usual in my, my usual everyday talking. I think that one was a, a good example of going like outside of yourself and writing for something for somebody else. Awesome. Well, man, you've, uh, we've done a lot. And I, I always ask this question when we get close to the end, but, sure. um, and you've already given out lots of tips and lots of <laughs> things like that you, that you use yourself absolutely that people could pull from, but is there any like piece of advice that you'd like to give out for, um, songwriters, uh, uh, I mean, shoot the Susan Herndon Monday music. Yeah, Monday morning news. Monday morning it's hers. news. You need to have her cool. on here. So I hate That's to take her cool. as and I and I forgive if I screw any of her interpretation of that up. And, uh, no doubt, man. As don't you know, please yourself. As much as I can say that, people will like your flavor. People will like your your color that you paint with. Even though don't don't look for that exception from your brother, for your mother, for your father. Your family will hopefully support you. But there's nothing better for me to play in front of a random audience and get that super awesome feedback from super non-biased information, right? Or data. And when you feel that, that's super good because that's super 100% you, not they don't know you. And that's so if you aim for that, everybody else will be happy. Meaning like, ah, but you get really distracted by trying to fill other people's gaps or impress certain people or look for affirmation, you know, even, you know, and another deal is look for other songwriters. That's a huge deal with the seventh day rebellion, which has been mentioned on this podcast before. And, and, uh, having Sundays at JJ's at 3 PM. Um, it's a huge deal for a community to come together and talk and feel affirmation. And that feeling just like, you're not crazy when you sit at a gig and have hey, played for two hours and nobody clapped and didn't mean they didn't like me. Cause they gave me, you know, I had that happen have that happen at certain regions and I haven't talked to other musicians that have it is certain cultural odds and norms, you know, different things. Finding um affirmation is thing that you're kinda not alone in doing stuff will will help you get past that stupid thing of worrying about it or writing and learning that everybody kinda walks the same path or some deal. Another deal, check out a book by Paul Zolo called Songwriters on Songwriting. It's not gonna teach you how to songwriting, but again it's a part of that affirmation of um this song is or this book is a big old thing about full of he'd worked for a songwriting magazine paul zola did and um he'd interviewed anyone from pete Seeger to Alanis morsa to uh i mean chris isaac um, just tons of artists that popular that we know but from all sorts of genres right so i just mentioned folk like classic folk like pete Seeger to Alanis morsa to madonna to to uh, gave me respect for uh, Yoko Ono. And uh, what's cool is that he literally, they're not promoting anything when they're talking to him, meaning like, oh, they don't have an album out, and they're really trying to kind of like, I'm doing today, but I didn't even talk too much. But, <laughs> um, um, but really talking to him about, you know, what you talked to me about today a lot of, about songwriting in that real pure form. But what you find out is that everybody has a maybe a different way of doing it, but it's all the same as like, there's not a way that, I can tell you that you're going to write good songs from 
it's the same thing. It's just like you just got to, you know, there's a million ways to write a good song. You just got to find the one that works for you. Mm-hmm. So that's it. You know, the people can say, you know, put a recorder down and just start playing and practicing, go and review stuff. Or, you know, Bob Dylan once said, you can't get that original idea back, you know, once you do it that one night. If you don't finish it, and I don't believe in that. There's all different ways of doing it, but that works for him, you know, and that's the whole deal is just like, it's all relative, man. <laughs> it gets into the crazy man, is that <laughs> it really is, though. It really comes from like, make yourself happy, chase what you want to sound like, kind of be goofy with it, parody a little bit, caricaturize it. Meaning, like, you know, if you do it, and then, again, you'll hit so far left that it stinks, it'll start to aim, kind of curve towards what your goal is, but you don't want to get to that goal. You'll find out the goals right there in between that. Like I said earlier, just trust the fact that open mics. Man, I play live. I don't know if I could ever. Here's the deal, Jared. I don't know if. Could you ever play, um, like, can you write a song? And, uh, well, I think you do, but you do it a lot. But uh, with, you know, because you you have an interesting medium of things we talked about with your wedding services and what you provide there on one end compared to even your private or your personal career. But, um, like for me, like writing a song is, Hey, I have this song at one point and then I go and play it live, mm-hmm. which hammers out and basically since it's through this furnace of like, uh, and makes me produce like way different melodies even. And, Cause I have a crowd that somehow like is like a, is like a tube, you know, amplifier, like puts real fire into it all of a sudden. Right. And then out on the other side, after I play it live, it becomes actually what it should be. In other words, the songs that I have on this EP, like have gone through this furnace a million times or this, you know, kiln and fired upon, you know, it looked like moldy clay afterwards, which I thought was pretty good. It looks like a bowl. It looks like an ashtray. <laughs> and then it gets killed and it's now it's a shiny bowl, but it's way better gloss. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, like I like, I don't know if I could ever write songs without having to perform them live. I get so much more out of them from pushing out of them when mm-hmm. I play them live. Whether it's, again, JJ's Alley Sunday Deal or even if it's out on a real gig and nobody's listening or something. You know, I try to fish it out there just to burn it in there enough to go like, wow, I took that out of my normal habitat of being at home and playing the safe chords I do in my safe home and my, you know, my safe walls. And I go out there and I go like, well, you have to believe in this. <laughs> or at least mm, I do, right? Yeah. And I had to like really project it. And that's a big deal. So putting it through a furnace of like live fire for me is a big deal. Um, oh, for sure. Changing up techniques, being influenced by things you don't even like is awesome because you'll still make something that's you. Whatever comes out of you is you. And that's the biggest thing to remember. Yeah. It's like people go, wow, you know. Well, yeah. well, I don't necessarily like listening to classical guitar, but I love practicing classical guitar stuff. That's awesome for picking. That's a huge deal. And that's how I got into my finger picking mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, classical guitar. I had to teach that once, and I was like, "All right, I had to figure this out." Oh, it's beginner, so I can do it good <laughs> enough. But it was just like, but it really brought in my third finger a lot of my right hand, which mm-hmm. was a huge, huge step for that. So I know I ramble a lot, but um, uh, hope that kind of explains a lot. It's just do as many different things and not look for one path. There's not one path, and never look for the end of it. That's the that's the right, big deal. Yeah, I don't think there's an end. Don't want there's an end. I don't want to yeah. be complete. You know, I don't want the last thing. I don't want to be done. You know, it's too fun to keep pulling or turning over stones and finding like I can do that one or two that I found that I can't believe I found whatever lyric or fun hook I found, right. whether it makes me happy or anybody else. I so, gotcha. But it's, yeah. Please yourself. Hell yeah. Yeah. People like, will like your flavor. They will. Believe mm. in it. Be cool. Be kind. Yeah. Don't be, don't make any hate songs or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. There's people, oddly enough, there'll be people who like that flavor too, but they're jerks. Yeah. I'm sure they would. Um, well, hell, man, what about, so where, 
do people find Adam Miller? How can they follow you? Sure. Go to adammillerlive.com. It's the most easy and universal way. There you can find either access to Facebook, which is Adam Miller Live, or Instagram, Adam Miller Live, L-I-V-E. So if you happen to uh, go to Spotify here in the next couple of months and you put in Adam Miller, there's no doubt you'll probably come across about four other artists named Adam Miller. Such mm. an original name, right? Go into baby names. We can talk about that with her. Hey, if you ever want to name your kid something that's cool, and think about it in a singer-songwriter term. Like, who's playing at the Blue Door tonight? Mm, and then yeah. say that name. And if that name just doesn't sound like, doesn't you pop. know, I have an imaginary. Farron Francis Miller. Oh, yeah. Or Larkin Everly. She's playing there tonight. Cool. Let's go watch her tonight, right? And uh, versus Adam Miller. <laughs> Adam Miller's looking at the phone book. Which one? There's about 20 ones, all right? So, um, um it's, it is what it is. And so I'll, I'll stick with this name for now because it's not worth doing like a whole, you know, uh, moniker that I used to. Or you can go to This Is Sleep, actually, which is another record I, re- I released in 2013 under a different style of music, which will not be representative of Adam Miller. But I, it's part of my musical history. I kind of left out today. But uh, absolutely. So you'll have a, there's a seven song CD or an album on Spotify called This Is Sleep. You can go to thisisleep.com. Uh, but Adam Miller, more importantly, Adam Miller Live, L I V E. And uh, follow on uh, the dot .com because uh, they'll have more information about album releases and things like that. Of course, Facegram. Uh, Facegram. Yeah, might as well just both. say that. Yeah, that's easier. That's the, the best way to say it. Go to Facegram. <laughs> Do that. Yeah. I uh, appreciate you having me today, Jared. It's been an awesome experience. I'm really impressed with uh, your initiative and all of those things. I've uh, state that and allowed me to talk so much about ridiculous stuff. Oh, man, I love it. It's always fun talking with you, man. Thank you for coming down today. It's been the best, dude. It's a beautiful day. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening and being here with us. And be sure to stick around and check out his song, The Songwriter. And check out his album that's going to be coming out in November. And I'm really interested in this. uh, Or EP. EP. My Darling Oklahoma. My Darling Oklahoma EP, which will also have a... uh, Christmas song on it that I'm super we'll stoked to It'll be to released check. as a single. Oh, that is going to be. Okay. Yeah. So it's just fun. I mean, I'm glad we get this all right now. But yeah, so check out the Christmas song, follow along, and uh, challenge yourself, everybody, to, uh, you know, write and have fun. So. Hell yeah. All right. Well, we'll catch you guys next time. Thank you for listening.
songs that we make And by our dreams we are always born again Sometimes we run the race and we never truly will But that we ask who is keeping score Until then take on another chore just to get by Pay the bills Like the light from the sun I don't mean any harm to anyone And I'm just trying to brighten up your day We're swift, Jay, accept you anyhow or anyway In a lifetime, have its fun sing for them Like the light from the sun I don't mean any harm to anyone 